So, Oriel, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your second favorite or third favorite or your favorite hour of fantasy content. It's Under the Radar, part of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Ian Kahn doing a poor impression of Nando DeFino for the opening, who will be back with us uh, again next week, thankfully. Um, but uh, first, let me welcome my friend and yours, Derek Van Riper. What's going on, Ian? And uh, your friend and mine, my friend, a true, a, tr- a true legend, uh, Ariel Cohen. Welcome to the show, Ariel. Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. It is truly an honor to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Really? What, are, you, are you excited to be on the show with us? Uh, not in the Fino's here. What? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, so impressions, uh, impressions. Very impressions. excited, very excited. All right. Well, we're really happy to have you. We've had we've had a, a number of great guests this week. We've had Glenn this this season over the course of the last month. We've had Glenn Colton. We've had Alex Cushing. We had Nando Defino last week, which was super fun. And then last and certainly not least, could I mean, how can you have a guest after Ariel Cohen? So we brought Ariel in for the show. Now I'm going to hand the show back over to the best host in the game, Derek Van Riper, who's going to take us through the show. DVR, you are up. You know, I was just thinking about if you were ranking shows, right? You'd have uh, Beat the Shift, which Ariel and Ruvain Guy host together. Ruvain, love Ruvain, love me some Ruvain. Yeah, you got you got that show. You got Rates and Barrels. You got Fantasy Baseball in fifteen. So yeah, fourth favorite show is probably where Under the Radar currently sits on a lot of people's lists. I don't know how you rank the first three, <laughs> but fourth favorite show. If we're in the top four, then I think we've done our okay. jobs here. Yeah, fair enough. But I think one place I want to start with this conversation, because I think it's interesting to always know where people entered fantasy baseball is to just get to know more about Ariel. Sure. Ariel, how did you get into fantasy baseball? When did you start playing? You know, what types of leagues uh, broke you in and what got you interested in playing this, this silly game that we all spend so much time you know, playing every year? Yeah, well, you know, I started playing in college with, uh, you know, a couple buddies and, you know, later I played in, in a synagogue league and in a work league, it usually just Roto 10 to 12 team Roto. Um, and somewhere early this de- last decade in 2011 or so, I said, you know, let me try to see if I can outdo everybody in projecting everybody, and maybe that'll help my game, and I don't know. And I put together something where I averaged a bunch of projections, and that basically turned into ATC, and I did really well. I won, like, the next three years in a row in my home leagues, and I said, you know what, let me let me try some high-money stakes uh, leagues with that, and I certainly I did that, and I won in my first year in the NFBC. And in that league were the Birchwood brothers from Fangraphs and talking to them about it, about my projection system. And next thing I know, I'm talking to, uh, you know, Saris, who helped get the ATC projections on Fangraphs. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't doing any writing. I have never written an article in my life. But, you know, sent me a question and said, hey, what do you think about middle infielders or you know, whatever the question was? And I wrote. You know, instead of just a one line, yeah, they're they're overvalued. I wrote like a three page answer to him, and he's like, "Yeah, we got to publish that." Uh, next thing I know, uh, they nominated me for writer of the year, and I won the following year. So it, it, it crazy. I just by accident I got into the industry, but uh, I always loved playing for many years. And you're very he, Ariel, as I've talked about on the show, is an excellent, excellent player. Um, and I worked with Ariel a lot. We played in Tout Wars last year. Ended up tied. Uh, you won on the point uh, on a tiebreaker, 
Um, and I still I still do feel having won the year before that I should have held the title. That being said, um, <laughs> what it did, what it did, well, you got to knock out the champ, but apparently not in Towers, but that's okay. Uh, but what it did was, you know, one thing that I've learned through the years, if, if somebody beats me in fantasy baseball, um, I want to know them and I want to get to, I want to learn from them as much as I can. And I learned so much from working with you, Ariel, in this offseason, just about auction strategy. Uh, which I've talked about on the show and, and done impressions of you. I'm, I'm, my plan is not to do an impression of you today uh, because how can I do an impression of the man who is actually here on the show? Um, but you really are, you think about the game in a very unique way. And I really did learn a lot from it. And, and your record stands for itself. I mean, you really are one of the best players in the game uh, for sure. And we're really happy to have you on the show. And I'm excited later in the show, we're going to talk about middle relievers. And you have a very interesting viewpoint was something you said to me last night about Chad Green, you know, I mean, Chad Green, I don't know why people aren't rostering him all over in every league. I've got him everywhere. He just does nothing but great things for me. Is that what you said, Ariel? Yeah, uh, in, in that voice, of course. But uh, yeah, uh, no, it, definitely. No, there are certain elements that uh, people don't think about that that are values. And, you know, when you get down to it, um, if you have a, a good return on investment on every single spot on your roster, then you're going to do well. And even if it's a marginal one, and even if it's somebody who doesn't get the typical save, the typical win, the typical whatever, I don't care about typical. I care about overall value, which is what it, what it really is. And more than value, you know, being an actuary, I think about risk all the time. I think that risk is so underappreciated and so underdoned. No, nobody ever thinks about risk in the game, but it's, it's, it's like stocks. You're managing a portfolio of assets, and it's about the value and the risk, and how to how to bridge the gap between the difference between the two. So the, the only argument I have with you is you saying that nobody thinks about risk in fantasy baseball. That's not right. People do uh, think sure, about risk. Sure, sure. Okay. I, 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 I think people don't calculate it very well. I mean, I think people overestimate the amount of risk for players who've had multiple injuries in a lot of cases, especially if they've been burned by those players. Right? The the Byron Buxton example. Like at a certain point, yeah. people are just like. Ah, F it. I'm done with Buxton. And it's like, well, no, just stop and look at what's actually happening. Look at how good he is. Look at the time he's missed. Look at how likely he actually is to miss more time. And people just throw him out completely because it's been a very difficult situation to this point. It's been hard to have him on your roster and replace him, especially if you're relying on him for steals, whatever you know, whatever the issue is for any other player in similar situations. I think there's a lot yeah. of emotion in the decisions. And I think your background probably is a, a big part of why you play the way you do. I would describe your style of play as very smart, very conservative. What I do a lot of times can be aggressive and, and highly volatile and reckless and probably a little bit dumb. Uh, I think you tend to play maybe more similar to someone like Larry Schechter, where you are you are much more precise in your valuations. And I think you're very good at sticking to those valuations. And that's why you have a lot of success, at least from my perspective. That's That's a big part of why you have that success. Yeah, no, th thank you for that. Um, I shouldn't say nobody thinks about risk. Obviously, that's silly. Uh, people think about risk. But as you said, people don't really quantify it properly. People don't take that into account in their price. Like when I buy somebody, I think a guy is a $20 player, but that's $20 projected value. There's a risk associated. If a player is not risky, then you should actually be willing to pay more than 20 If the person is very risky, you're paying less. Take Let's take an example of Adalberto Mondesi. Okay? I, you think I didn't know you were going to add Alberto Mondesi to this show? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, look, Adalberto Mondesi is a player who's tremendously skilled, can can win a league with stolen bases. 60 stolen bases is nothing to sneeze about. The problem is, if you're <laughs> buying him, 
You're buying him for 60 stolen bases, and you're probably constructing your roster being a little bit light in stolen bases otherwise. So there now is a risk that if he gets hurt, if he gets hurt, what happens to the stolen bases on your team? It goes from okay to probably crappy. And that type of risk has to be priced in when you buy him. The risk of your profile of your categories being ruined by one guy. And there's nobody more important to the categories than Alberto Mondesi. So, you know, that's just one example of you can't spend $20 even if he's worth $20. Mondesi had to take a $5 pay cut just because he's more risky to roster. I hear that. But, you know, I I roster him with Robert Mershak oh, in GDD. And um, we roster. I, I, I bought him in the auction, I think, for about $22. But I also got steals everywhere, while including Cedric Mullins the third, by the way. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna sit. No, I'm not gonna do it. Can't do it. Um, but we're leading in stolen bases still. And the idea was to get such a, a, a dramatic lead in stolen bases that I could then use those stolen bases in trade when it comes to July, when other teams need stolen bases. So there's a way to roster Mondesi without putting all your eggs in the basket. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Certainly, if you can get the value in trade, that's something else. In an NFBC league, it's death to me if you roster Mondesi because you can't trade. Uh, sure, I mean, there's there's ways around it. But I think the concept is still there that I think you need a, a pay cut for him. I mean, I, I, I roster him in exactly one league where I bought him for $17 in an auction. $17 was a fantastic price. Was I willing to go to 22 No. Yep, that's true. So I wanted to ask a, a question that's a little bit broad, but there's a player on our rundown today who I think would win this award if we had one. Of the players who were consistently drafted in mixed leagues, is Brian Reynolds perhaps the guy who has exceeded the value we expected him to provide the most compared to expectations and projections back during the beginning of the season. Some other names, Cedric Mullins, who Ian mentioned, might be in that conversation. Has to be. Jared Walsh was probably a little more expensive than those guys, so maybe just based on the the difference between what we expect and what we got, he hasn't hasn't created as much of a, a gap, but but is Brian Reynolds actually this good? And, and and what do you do when you see a player exceed expectations so much over his projection over the first half of a season? How much of an adjustment can you make to your expectations going forward? Yeah, it's funny. Brian Reynolds, I have no shares of this year. I, I projected him as a $7 player. But last year, I had him as a $15 player. I bought him in every single league. Uh, I think that projections were overly punitive, maybe because he stunk in the short season, and maybe there was too much credit given to last year, and that's why projections are sapped him. But I I see him as a $15 player. He's been worth $25 this year, so um, he's certainly overperforming. I mean, look, his his homer-to-fly ball ratio is 20% this year. It's typically near 15, so you're going to see some of those homers come down. Um, the thing with him, though, is that he's going to have a high floor value, and that has to do with his high batting average. He's always going to hit somewhere around 300. Um, that Babbitt is going to stay high because that's the way he hits. He's a, he's a guy who gets on base from there. So, you know, he's a guy that we're talking about some regression coming, but he's not going to drop to zero. So I, I like Brian Reynolds going forward. If you're going to sell him at a $25 value now, sure. Uh, but, you know, don't think he's going to zero. He, he's going to have a lot of value left over. My, my issue with Brian Reynolds is the same one that I had coming into the season. I was down on Brian Reynolds. There's no question about it. I had gotten, I traded him in 2019 when he was pretty hot in all the dynasty leagues because I'd picked him up uh, in all dynasty leagues. And I was like, I got to move him. My issue with Brian Reynolds is that lineup. 
that that they just don't score that many runs. I mean, it's just it's just such a bad team. Going back to Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf um, and their their smart system, like pick players from good teams because they're going to score more runs. You know, I mean, so if, if you can get a twenty five dollar value from Brian Reynolds, I would be all over that. And to me, what Reynolds is doing is very very impressive. But what uh, Mullins is doing is far more impressive. I mean, I think that Mullins is. He because he's helping you in every single category the way the way Reynolds is as well. But Mullins was cheaper than Reynolds coming into the season. I mean, I, I, he was he was free almost. I mean, because there was no guarantee at the time, at the beginning of the season, that he was going to get every day at bats. It, it didn't look like he was. It was looking like a platoon, the the strong side of the platoon. But if you have Cedric Mullins on your team, he's a player. I mean, Ariel and I, Ariel and I were talking last night in preparation for the show today. And we're looking over late my AL labor team and just trying to figure out like, all right, what, where, where is everything? You know, like I've got a decent lead. So like, what, what do I need to build on? And do you move Mullins at this time? But the problem is you move Mullins. He's helping you in average stolen bases, runs, home runs, and RBIs. He's helping you in every category. So uh, to me, he's the, he's the fantasy star of the season. You know, with Brian Reynolds, um, the batting order position matters. I don't think people going into the season saw him as a middle-of-the-lineup guy, but he's batting there every single day. And just because you're on a bad team, being in the 3-4-5 spots, I don't care what team you are. You can be in the worst team in the league. It's going to afford you a lot of run production. Should somebody get on and you've got a 300 batting average, instant RBI, instant runs. So um, I, I agree that it's a better situation to be on a good team. But just being in that lineup spot is is really pretty good for the run production, which is, by the way, runs and RBIs are 40% of your fantasy value in on, on offense. It's, it's it's categories that people really don't put enough credit to. I mean, just, just being— Ariel, you said something last night about runs, which I'd never heard before. You want to share with everybody what you said about the, the importance of runs? Yeah. Um, you know, if you take the 10 roto categories, you know, homers, runs— and win start strikeouts, ERA, et cetera, et cetera. The category that is most correlated with fantasy play standing. So, you know, if, if you're more likely to win your league, who do you think is going to be in first place? Who do you think is going to be in second place if you're second in your league? It, it's runs. Uh, I, I just look at the runs category, and that'll tell you pretty much who's winning your fantasy league. Why? Why do you say that? Well, runs is the highest correlation to all the other statistics. If you're gonna if you're gonna have a batting average, you're gonna score runs. A homer and an RBI, a homer is a run. Um, it, it's just something that's correlated, and it's also correlated with at bats. Uh, people Bingo. who get up to bat, they score. People who yep. don't get up to bat, they don't score. Uh, okay. So a lot of times, winning your fantasy league is just getting that extra at bats. And in the roto perspective, it's the runs. I think it was it was two years ago now at first pitch. The last time we were able to gather in Arizona in 2019. Hopefully that conference can happen again in 2021. I was moderating a panel and we were just talking about strategy and looking at some different things. And one of the panelists is Brad Coleman from from Baseball HQ, and he was he was preparing for it and he was looking at correlations. And he came back to me and he said, "Hey, you realize like how strong." at bats correlates with standings position and, and winning, right? And I said, well, yeah, but we can't just go up in front of this this crowd of people and just tell them to, to find playing time. Like that's <laughs> that doesn't feel like we're, we're giving anybody an edge, but it, it, it's overlooked. And I think I've been pushing this for a while now. I want to get your thoughts on this, Ariel. As, as projections become more universally accepted as our, our guides to value, do you find that there is more of an edge to be had if you're able to more accurately predict playing time 
Because yeah, if yeah. we're all going into this with similar ideas of what a player's skills look like, there has to be a way to get separation somewhere. And given what you're saying about runs and different ways these these some of these categories correlate better to standings position, it does all make sense in my head to find value with differences in how we project playing time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I had to pick whether I want to be exactly right on rates of a player or exactly right on on playing time of a player, it's it's playing time by far. I mean, if you yeah. get that, you, you're you're going you know eighty percent of the way. It's probably eighty twenty playing time and, and rates for especially for marginal players, right? Um, yeah, it, it, it's something that. It, it's it, you're never going to be able to do because teams are not going to tell you what their plans are for minor leaguers. Teams are not going to tell you what the injury, the real injuries are for players. So it's probably the hardest to project, but it's something that should be worked on more, more than the rates. I mean, it, you know, ATC is a composite of, of all the other projections, um, but it really doesn't matter in terms of the rates. Uh, you know, steamer and the bat, they're all not that different in, in every single category in terms of rates. But in at-bats, that's where you get the biggest difference. And why ATC works so well is that it takes at-bats from a lot of different projection <laughs> systems. And yeah. it really gets there. Back to Tim McLeod. Um, Tim, Tim's been pushing this for years. When I first started playing back in 2011, I used to listen to um, – Tim's podcast with Rich Wilson and Tim used to always just say it's about at bats. You should not, you're not going to get the counting stats if you're not getting the at bats. And if you look at the waiver wire every week, I'm looking at the same thing. I'm looking to see who's the guy that just locked down playing time. Not that, you know, it's the challenge on that's why I, I really am nervous about raised players all the time because they're going to play four or five times a week. You want the guy who's going to get the everyday at bats. And, and those are the guys who um, I'm really targeting on the waiver wire over the course of the season. And in, one of the things that I, I found so valuable about Ariel's um, projection system before the season and, and the conversations that we would have is the value of someone like a Jose Iglesias in an AL only. He's going to play every day. He's not going to be great. He's not going to do remarkable things, but he's going to, he's going to get the, he's going to get the at bats. So he's going to get the runs. He's going to get the RBIs. He'll, he'll hit the occasional home run and steal the occasional base. But when you're playing, especially in the only leagues, these at bats are everything. It's just everything. And, and that's the, uh, that's, that's how you win. Yeah. The getting the guy for three to five in an AL or NL only league who ends up being worth eight, 10 or 12, those add up in a really big way on the bottom of the roster. I think managing that end game is it's important everywhere, but it's particularly important to make sure you come away with a lot of playing time when you're talking about those really deep mono leagues in particular. I want to talk about Miles Straw for a moment because I think he's sort of the the opposite of Brian Reynolds just in terms of how he's used. Brian Reynolds is a better all-around player, but Miles Straw is usually hitting eighth or ninth in the Astros lineup. Once in a while, he'll hit first or second if they're giving Altuve or Brantley a rare day off, but that lineup has by far been the best in the league to this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what Ariel thinks. In these circumstances, does the overall quality of the supporting cast do enough to prop up those counting stats and make it as though Straw's hitting, let's say, sixth in a league average sort of lineup? Because overall, like Straw's got these pretty solid skills for a speed-first player. It's a low-power skill set, to be clear. I don't think he's hitting more than five or six home runs in a full season, but do you look at a guy who's buried in the bottom third of a great lineup and say, lineup position is not as important here because this is truly a great lineup? I mean, I think it's a balance. Obviously, when I said that being hitting third, fourth uh, in any lineup matters, but hitting sixth, seventh in a very good lineup might 
could be the equivalent in terms of your ability to get runs in and, and to score runs. So, yeah, there's a balance between good and bad there. I mean, Miles Straw has exceeded everybody's expectations this year, I think. Um, he, he's improved as a player. You know, his, his contact rate way up. It's at 82% now. He's hitting line drives. Um, his O swing is down seven points from last year. He's not hacking outside the zone. His walk rate up to 10%. He's solid. So if you're doing that kind of stuff and you're not making bad contact, if you're not swinging at bad pitchers, if you're walking and you're in a good lineup, even if you're batting seventh, it's pretty much the equivalent of, of, of anywhere else, batting third on a crappy team. So I, I like Straw being in that lineup. It props him up. And certainly everything he's done so far is going to extend him and give him more playing time. I think the worry with guys like Straw and maybe um, – uh, what's the guy on Texas? So Leody Tavares. Um, you know, he, he fizzled out, but Straw has – done well, and he's batting 273 now. The fact that he's batting well is going to afford him a lot of playing time from here on in. They're not getting rid of him anytime soon. So uh, I'd roll with Straw for as long as you can, and he's going to get plenty of opportunities. Yeah, I I, I can I, I agree. I mean, what I always look at, and I, I tend to go to CBS. We each have our own place that we go to as like our base to look up a player. I go to CBS, and I check the game log. That's what I want to see. And then within the game log, you can see how he's doing. But that game log uh, for Straw right now is just very, it's just very consistent. I mean, he's simply playing every single day. And he's running. And like you said, his walk rate is up. So in OBP leagues, he's worth a little bit more. The speed is bringing a lot to the table. He's, he's an interesting player. He's an interesting player to have. And, and like DVR said, the Astros, I mean, the Astros are putting up 12 runs a game at times. You know, they, they, they're, they're, they're hurting people. They're doing some. They're doing some real damage. He's a great age, twenty six years old, right entering his prime as a baseball player. So, yeah, I mean, just in this conversation, there's one in Tout Wars, which I've had a better week, thankfully, and things are looking a lot better than they were last week. Um, he he's a player I should probably target. DVR, do you own Miles Straw in that league? Nah, I don't have him anywhere. I, I so I was worried about Straw just not being good enough to keep the job. Like I, I looked at the minor league skills, I saw. Pretty good walk rates everywhere. Good walk rates everywhere. Low K rate. I just thought he was going to get the bat knocked out of his hands. And as a result, he'd be a a reserve outfielder and a guy that would get 20 steals, but he would would drag down every other category except for maybe batting average. Yeah, you know, it's an old Ron Chandler adage that, you know, the players who overperform are going to get as much leash as they can and going to get more at-bats. But if you stink, then you don't get time to correct yourself. Let's say you underperform. Right, and you stink in the first month, they might bench you or demote you to the minors, and you might not get have the time to regress back up. But Straw is going to get the extended time, and we said it's all about at-bats. He, listen, who, who else is playing center field for the Astros? Nobody. It's Miles Straw. Yeah, that was a huge part of it going into the season. I think I, I looked at like Chaz McCormick and Pedro Leon and thought between those two guys, possibly maybe moving Kyle Tucker into center field and playing someone like Abraham Toro in a corner— those were flimsy options. I should not have completely talked myself out of straw on draft day in hindsight. Definitely an error in judgment in my part. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, I want to ask you about Keston Hira, Ariel. Is there any reason to think it's going to be different this time around after his second stint of the season at AAA Nashville? You know, um, he's one of these guys that for a while on my risk radar is very low-risk player. Um, ATC Ugh. projections this year, uh, I've started new interprojectional measures of risk. Like, you know, it, when you're taking a, a bunch of, let's say, 10 projections, as I do, and you're looking at the average, with the average, there's also a distribution around them, right? There are some projections that are very high for players, some projections that are very low for player. For some players, all the projections are close. For some players, projections are far away. And that gives you a measure of the parameter risk for a player. It's not just about whether he's going to be good and, and bad uh, in terms of regular, uh, hey, he's unlucky, hey, he's not unlucky. There's a risk of we don't know who a player is, right? And all the projections for Keston Hira seem to think he was going to be good. To me, that tells me he is less of a risk than you think. Um, and in all my... In all my interprojectional metrics, I also do interprojectional skew. Skew is where maybe there's one projection that's high up, that's really taking the average up, or or one that's taken down. He he's negatively skewed, meaning projections are actually better than than what the average is. Here is is just a guy who uh, projections loves and 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 very stable. Uh, I think that it's possible he got corrected in the minors. I think that there was something he had to work on. It, something was funny that you just didn't know about. Look, he, had, he has a 232 BABIP this year, um, but he, he's not hitting ground balls. He's barreling the ball more than ever. His barrel rate is 16%. Um, that's 18th best in baseball of all players with 75 events or more. That's better than – he's barreling the ball more than Vlad, more than Harper, more than Pete Alonso. He's hitting the ball. Uh, I think it's just a question of working on some fine skills. And I think he's going to bounce back. Now, you know, the question is, what do you do with a guy like that? Does, does if you're in, it's not just about, do I want him? Do I not want him? It's also a question of, what do I do if I'm in first place? What do I do if I'm in last place? I need to catch, I need to catch players. How can I think about rostering him? And I think Hiura works for both teams that are high up and low down. I think that he's a bigger value than what you would have to trade to acquire him or pick him up off the waiver wire. I think he has the chance of being a $15 player. So for a guy in first place, you might think of having him because he might beat expectations. But there's also a risk component. If you're in last place, I think he's the kind of guy that could provide a $20 player lift, and you're getting you need those sparks to win. So I think that he, he works for almost any single team, any single need. And uh, I'm, I, I think he's a player that you should really try to trade for uh, or, or pick up. I've got a, a follow-up question. I just want to jump in because I know we're kind of going back and forth, Ian. With the consistency in the projections, like the systems agree or largely seem to agree on what Hero should do. Do you think there's, even though they agree across multiple systems, is there more volatility in his profile because of that high strikeout rate? Like, can you have agreement in projection, but still have a lot of volatility? Uh, when when you have a high strikeout rate, 
um, that that just keeps your batting average down. So um, the opposite is true. If you have a, a low strikeout rate, that's going to make you uh, have a higher batting average. It's going to give you a higher floor. So there is more volatility in players with a high strikeout rate. I mean, Javier Baez is a guy who always struck out a lot, and he somehow managed it. But for other players, uh, it can be up and down. So, yes, included in that is a higher process risk for Keston Hira. Um, but that's not to say that he he has a lower range of what his true his true talent level is. So he, he, I'm more sure of what his true talent level is, but there's going to be more bumps and bruises along the way, and we've seen that from his very good 2019 to his really crappy start to this year, if that makes sense. <laughs> it is really crappy 2020. This is where Ariel Cohen and I get into. This is where Ariel Cohen and I get into huge, huge uh, arguments. Um, because what I'm looking at is the emotion of the player, right? So we came into the season when we talked about Keston Hura coming into the season and you had him. What did you have him projected at, Ariel? About a $15 player. Right. And what did I say to you at the time? I can't remember. Something what I said I- to you at the time was there's no way he's going to perform at that level because he's moving from second base to first base. And that's going to change everything about the way he plays the game. Same thing that happened to Andrew Vaughn in left field. Like the emotions of the game is something that we we argue about because I say it's about the emotions. You say, no, it's about the numbers. I say, no, it's about the where the player is at. He was dealing with, a, I think, a, an illness in his family. We talked about that on the show. I actually, for the first time now, am starting to come around that Hira might bring some value. Uh, I traded him everywhere I could in the offseason that I had him in a, in a couple of dynasty leagues. Steve Gardner and I shared him, and we traded him straight up for Aaron Judge. In XFL, um, because I was like, we need him off. We need to get rid of him now while we can, because he's going to struggle. He did. Then he goes down to the minor league, succeeds wildly, comes back up, struggles again. Now he goes back down to the minors again, which I actually think was a good idea. And if you look at what he's done over the course of the last four days in DVR, you know this better than anybody. He's looking good. I think it's possible that he might finally now, at the end of June, beginning of July, be coming to a place of comfort with his new position i think that it's possible um i I, but i still i i i think if you can buy him cheap sure if you can get him off the wire sure um and i also think that if you can get a a big value for him in the dynasty league sure (laughs) do it because i i just i don't how tall is keston hura guys how tall is he probably about 510 yeah it's not great long term for a first baseman Do, do you know who do you know who he reminds me of he reminds me of eric hosmer and Hosmer had a big sophomore – he was great his first year. He had a big sophomore slump. He's also a guy who hits, let's say, around 280, but that can vary dramatically. Uh, he had you know, a, some 20 homers, does chip in with some steals. It's somewhat a similar profile, and the, the point is it's the bumps and bruises. It's ups and downs. Trick is to catch him at – uh, a good time, uh, and maybe it was the switch in position that gave him the down, but I think maybe he will get comfortable and go up. Uh, I bet on guys on the long term, and the long term of Hiura could be a $25 player, uh, but you do have to suffer some of the bad with some of the good. But again, you know, if you're going to play the game, you're going to play the value game, you bet the long-term average, and you know maybe you're down on this guy, but somebody who you bet the long-term average has the up year, and you'll win on, on the uh, margins. Yeah, I, I still we we argue on this. I still say pick the guys that you believe in, uh, as much as anything for value, for value. But but DVR, you're you're the Brewers fan. You're the one who's watching these guys every day. How does he look in his in his last few days? 
He looks a little different. Still chasing pitches down and away, breaking balls down and away, misses on fastballs up. But I, yeah. I think maybe the, the pitch recognition's a little better. He was striking out less the second time down. I, I think what we have to do with Hira is accept the fact that the five-category player we saw when he debuted, that guy's probably not coming back, but he could still be a good player. He could still be maybe a four-category player. Maybe you get a low average, but because when he does so much damage when he makes contact, he's above average for power, above average for run production. But is he above average for power for for first base? Is he? I mean, that's my problem. You're looking at a first baseman long-term, and now Keston Cura, you're comparing him to Paul Goldschmidt. You're comparing him to Anthony Rizzo. You're comparing him to Freddie Hosmer, Freeman. Hosmer, Hosmer, Yeah, all right. So that's probably like the lower end for power for him because he does a better job hitting the ball in the air than Hosmer does. Still, that's yeah. always been the problem for Eric Hosmer. He just does hits the ball hard, but he hits the ball on the ground a lot. Here, hits the ball hard and hits the ball in the air, and he does it to all field. That skill set at second base is is something that is more valued. Uh, you throw that at first base, it's just, what is he, a corner infield for your team? Maybe. I mean, you know, I mean, how many steals is he going to chip in? How many How many steals? 12, maybe? Eight to 10, probably. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Double digits. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I still, I think that the change in position, and then when Wong goes down, Wong goes down, down goes Wong, Wong goes down. They don't put Hura at second base. They keep him at first. The guys who do a little bit in every position are, to me, are so valuable because there's many paths to, to value. It, it, maybe he'll be a little bit better in power. Maybe he'll throw in a little bit more steals this year. Maybe his average shoots up a little bit. You know, guys like the Mark Canhas, guys like Alex Verdugo, although Verdugo's a little bit better player. Um, those guys are just valuable because there's a baseline of production that you could possibly get. And yeah, but he's not. But Keston here has not shown has he not shown that in two years. And again, he's fine for this year. My issue is. Is I'm looking at him from a dynasty perspective. Wh- what value will he have as a corner infielder or first baseman? Is that a, is that is that the kind of player you're going to win a championship with? You know, let me ask you this, Ian. For guys who are highly volatile that have good year, bad year, good year, bad year, is that better or worse to trade with in dynasty? Because I, to me, it, it's guys that you can probably buy low better and guys you can sell high after. Does that actually help you? Yeah, well, it can. It, it, it certainly can. I mean, you look at some of the guys on this list, somebody like Daz Cameron, or you know what I was thinking a lot about was Nick Gordon. I picked up Nick Gordon last week in a Dynasty League or two weeks ago, I forget. And here was a guy that was being rostered for years, years. And it seems to me, guys like Daz Cameron, for years, up and down, and then and then people would drop him, and then people would pick him up, and then they would drop him. And it seems to me that those are the guys that when they finally are close People should be grabbing at every turn because then there's like a two in 10 chance that they turn into a really good baseball player and you can put them down in your minor leagues. But yes, the whole game in Dynasty is buying low on people and selling high. So that's why I'm suggesting, you know, like one of the things that I I was thinking about last night with when we were talking about labor was Mullins stole two bases last night. Today's a really good day to trade Cedric Mullins if you're going to trade Cedric Mullins. Yeah. You don't want to trade Cedric Mullins when he's gone over the last 21. Yeah. That's not you know, when you sell. I had Jazz Chisholm in labor this year, and he was hot as heck for a st- period. I ch- ended up trading him. I remember for, this. For, yeah, for Zach Wheeler, uh, a, a team who badly needed hitting and, you know, was okay in pitching. And I, I got a really good pitcher out of him when he was, you know, hot and hitting homers and stealing bases every day. It is about buying and s- buying at, at, at the low point and selling at the high. And guys who are volatile even during the season, I think it helps you with the trade market. I mean, you, you're the trade expert. You tell me. I, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. 
the way, that's why the waiver wire is so very important. Because when guys are available on the wire and you grab them and then they start performing, you can move them for something that you really need, especially in dynasty leagues. I mean, it, it, in that Devil's Rejects League, uh, Tom Trudeau is really good at this. I mean, he's picking up every guy who shows a flash. Just a little flash because then you move him. You pick up, I picked up your mean Mercedes, the 91 five for five, traded him the next day and, and then traded back for him and then traded him again because you, you, you buy low and you sell high. I mean, it, it sounds sort of obvious, but it's the way to do it. It's obvious, but at the same time, when you get into a room full of people who are all playing the same way, if you get 15 people who generally agree about your mean Mercedes, you're, you're not going to find someone to trade for him. No, DVR, that's not true. Because in May, in early May, when your mean mania was going on and Nando got screwed on the top selling his rookie card, remember we were like, sell the rookie card for $200 right now. Well, yeah, because th- th- that was the absolute peak. Even if he ended up being a good player for most of the season, there was no way there was, he was no going way to be as he was good as he was. When he $200 player. But, but for those three weeks where your mean mania was happening, we're talking about um, we're, we're talking about, there were, there were thoughts as I was trading him. Finally, I think he was in the U Darvish trade. I traded him for U Darvish with Garrett Hampson. Um, and I think I had to give something else. I mean, I, I don't imagine it was just that, but, but, but the point was in the moment that I was accepting the trade, there was a little bit of me that was like, you know, he could be Nelson Cruz for 10 years, but I need the pitcher. So I'm going to make the deal. But that was even in my head. I was like, what if this is real? You know, and that's what you got to you got to you got to take advantage of. Yeah. And you know, you know you what? Got to take advantage of that. I think it also in terms of trading and you tell me uh, if this is true, but I think certain players when they want to trade with you are looking for certain things. Like some people are looking at year to date stats, right? How's the guy been doing all year to date? Some people are looking at what have they done recently? Some people don't care about that. And they just look at does it help my categories? Am I going to gain in this category, lose in this category? And they'll make trades just to balance the roster. I think when you're trading, you have to know who you're trading with and what they're looking at. And of course you, you know, uh, you, you know yourself what your player values are, what you need. And you try to come up with something that would appear good for that person and still appear good from you and your end and that's really the way to, to trade yeah it is and one thing that I, I don't think i've ever mentioned this on the show there's a danger when you're making oh i think i have but there's a danger when you're making trades that you you kind of want to figure out a way to make a deal you've invested you know hour you've, you've sent back 10 emails you've gotten on the phone and you get to a point where you're like well let's just try to find something that makes it work come on i really i really want that player from you and all right, you know what? I'll give you this extra guy. When you find yourself in that spot, I'm saying to dynasty owners in particular, stop. Just stop. Because what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up giving 62% value to 38% value to get the deal done. That's the danger. And we've all fallen into that trap. Try not to, because that's where you end up losing value for your team. Yeah, pushing it too far. Uh, if you can't get what you want, just making sure you get something done because of time. That makes sense. I want to give you guys some different players that are on the wire in a good number of leagues, or at least they're breaking in to have a little more value in the last few weeks and get your thoughts. Just kind of rapid fire on this entire group. Ariel, we'll start with you. Aristides Aquino, we saw that red hot per game output late in 2019. Was that a sign of things to come, or do you see him more as a a part-time player for the Reds who's got pretty limited value going forward? You know, I try to answer the question this way, is that if you're – if you're looking at Aristides Aquino, who, by the way, is available in 90% of leagues on CBS, right? You can get him anywhere. He's free. Um, who does it appeal to, right? It's not just, do I like the player? Do I think he's good? It's what 
for what type of team that you roster does he make sense to have? If you're in first, second, third place, you're looking for some expected value. He's probably not going to give you that. Probably. I mean, I think 50% of the time he turns into a pinch hitter and that's the end. But we saw that late run in, in 2019, and we know he can hit 19 homers in a short span. For the teams that are need some points in power, in homers, in RBIs, and are a little bit far out, uh, need to increase their risk. You want to increase your team's roster risk, and he's the perfect guy. Because there's some 10%, 15% scenario where he hits 15 homers down the stretch. And that might be enough to give you a lot of points. You don't want to chance that if you're in first place, because then you're going to play some terrible batting average and, and have a hole in your roster. But hey, if you're really far out, you need to increase your risk, and that's the only way. Guys like this are the only way that can jump you back into contention. So I see Aristides Aquino as having a very wide distribution. Most of the time he stinks, but there's a good 20, 15 to 20% chance, and he's going to give you a lot of power, and he's going to be a good fourth, fifth outfielder for you. And take a chance if you are down and need to somehow jump up on your team. That's how I see it. Ian, uh, I mean, okay, I, I'm I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and, and and by the way, notice how I didn't actually tell you what I think about the player. I'm just telling you that I know he has a wide range of possibilities, and it's called playing the percentages where you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. I'll 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 just make mention of one player that I just want to. Uh, an under the radar player that if you're if you're playing in dynasty leagues or keeper leagues that might be worth a pickup right now, uh, Jamey Jones, Jamey Jones from Baltimore, he's doing really well and he he was a top 100 prospect for a minute, got moved, I believe it was in the Dylan Bundy trade, uh, Dylan Bundy, oh DVR, D- Dylan Bundy, oh DVR, oh poor DVR on that, I'm gonna vomit on that one. Yeah, Pat will have him everywhere. I just had him as a keeper in a league and thought, oh, yeah, I got him undervalued. He'll be okay. He'll be a yeah. $15 guy that I got for six. I just stay. I was just nervous as all heck about about him this year. So I, I, I luckily, but Jemai Jones is is a fella. Jemai Jones is somebody who's worth a pickup in in uh, deeper leagues. Just that yeah, Orioles Orioles need production at second base too. Yeah, you so. might see you might see him even come up. I mean, there's there's just value there. There's just value there, and he'll he's going to bring some speed. He he he's a he's a nice player. Uh, but so on the, the and and Aquino, let's go with what what with what he said. I the guy I want to talk about was Daz Cameron, if that's all right. Sure. What do you think of Daz Cameron, Ian? Okay, uh, I, I I spent a lot of money on him in Tout Wars this week. I spent a tremendous amount of money on him, uh, partially because of the injury problems and the need for speed. He he could, until the league catches up with him, and they eventually will. But he he to me he has more value than Aquino because he does have the upside of power. He also runs. And he has a better chance at playing time because the Tigers are just rolling out guys who might work in the future. He has that same top 100 pedigree from a couple of years ago. Son of Mike Cameron. So you think about, you know, the, the pedigree there is, is impressive. I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, I'm kind of buying in on Daz Cameron right now. What do you guys think of him? Um, let me ask you this. Would you rather have Michael Goodrum or Daz Cameron right now? I mean, you mean hurt. Nico? Do you mean Ni- Nico Goodrum? Nico, Nico Goodrum. He's 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 a little bit hurt though. But uh, yeah, he's totally hurt. I'm I'm a I'm a huge Nico Nico Goodrum. To me, he'll hurt you with the average, but he'll do what Canha was doing. I picked up Nico Goodrum everywhere earlier in the season, and he really performed. I mean, stole yeah. a lot of bases, can hit some home runs. 
Um, if they're both absolutely healthy, I don't know. It depends on what you need. But Goodrum, Goodrum is somebody that that I like having on teams. I like him because of the eligibility that he'll have. Uh, I think he just picked up outfield eligibility in many leagues because they started playing him in center field and in right field a little bit once he lost the the, the firm hold on the shortstop job. Um, but for upside, I think I'm going Cameron. I don't know. Uh, DVR, did you did you put in a bid for Cameron or did you consider him? Everyone else put in, like Jeff Zimmerman put a bid on him, which made me happy because Jeff Zimmerman is freaking genius. Um, but I, I, I put it down. I put down a big number. I put down $120. I just and I knew I was overpaying, but I wanted him. I have the fab. I have, more. in fact, I'm going to be turning in Kyle Lewis for twelve dollars, uh, so I'll get 120. So I kind of thought of it that way that I'm trading. I'm trading the the hurt Kyle Lewis for the Daz Cameron. But DVR, did you put in a bid for Daz Cameron? And if not, why? Not in Tout Wars. Uh, mostly, I see a little bit of playing time risk. I think he's fine for a 15 teamer. I like him better than Goodrum. I think Goodrum's kind of done as a regular. I think he's a bench player. Be that in Detroit or somewhere else, we get a, a below average overall offensive player. He's versatile, but the Tigers need to move on. The Tigers need to look at guys who are going to be on their next good team. And Goodrum's <laughs> twenty nine years old. Like, what yeah. are you, what are you doing? Planning? He'd, he'd be good yeah. on the Yankees. Actually, he'd be good on the Yankees. He'd be, yeah, he'd be you, a really good middle infielder, help out spot. I just worry about Cameron getting on base. He doesn't have a great track record of a good batting average or um, lately a decent, very decent walk rate. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm maybe for dynasty leagues it's a different story, but for redraft leagues general, I always bet the under on these prospects that come up. Yep. He does have the ability to to steal and power, so you know it, it limits some of the downside. But I don't know. I, I just think he, you know, let's say I can see him hitting 200, and then that's the end. Yeah, like Taylor Trammell. But but I, I started out the week, I think, in 11th place. Now I think I'm in 7th place. Um, and But but I'm coming from, hey, got to take some big swings here. And Daz Cameron's a big swing. Because if he can, uh, you know, he, he he's could run, you know, and he could he could play every day. He could he could run into a bunch of home runs. So Would you rather have Daz, Daz Cameron or, let's say, a Wilmer Flores? Wilmer, I think. I mean, in, in the Wilmer Flores situation, just got a little better with the, the belt, injury for Brandon yeah. Belt. And the injury to Yuskrimski, who looks like he's going to be okay, but he may be out. So Right, because they could play Wade in the outfield more and, and let Flores play even more against righties at first base. Flores' batting averages since 2016. 267, 271, 267, 317, 268, 269. Guy gets on base, and everyone thinks of him as the lefty masher. Uh, true, he does better against lefties versus righties, but it's not that big a split. It's WR. You also talk. love him because he cried on the field at City Field. You love him as How a Mets fan, not? right? How can uh, you not? Most yeah. walk-off hits for the Mets <laughs> ever. So. <laughs> See, I'm being so nice because I haven't even mentioned the Jared Kellenick trade today. Who, who uh, is that? The Jared Kellenick. I'm he, not familiar the, with that guy. The prospect. Uh, he's he's on the Mariners. Struggled exist. when he struggled when he came up, but you did get Robinson Cano, so Doesn't that's it, good. No, I don't. I don't know who that is. Doesn't exist. Okay, it's just right. mean. The uh, <laughs> the giant I wanted to, to throw into the conversation today, in addition to Flores, is Stephen Duggar because yeah. I think he was out there in a lot of leagues along with Cameron and even Akil Badu, who's been really good yes. lately. I, I believe more. I believe more in Badu short term. Than Cameron, which is weird since Cameron played in the upper levels of the minor leagues and Badu didn't. Like that's that basically just says how much I like Badu. I don't think it's a, an anti Daz Cameron take. What do you guys think of Steven Duggar though? Because I think we've talked about this on the pod. The Giants are just a different team. They exceeded expectations offensively last year. They're doing it again this year. 
clearly they've got some things going on with their coaching, with their approach. They, they've improved a lot of hitters. Old guys like Brandon Crawford, uh, Brandon Belt was hitting better. Buster, Buster Posey. Posey's had a, a very nice renaissance year. But even Steven Duggar looks different than he did when we previously got looks at him in his first few opportunities. So, Ariel, what do you do when you see almost an entire organization take a step forward that you didn't expect? Can you raise the baseline across the board just for a guy even like Duggar who's not necessarily a proven performer? Yeah, you know, with all the the shifts and the injuries and stuff in San Fran, it's almost looking like a Tampa Bay situation where play this guy here, play this guy here. Uh, not exactly, but yeah, I I like I like Duggar. I mean, he's uh, you know six homers, six stolen bases so far, batting three eighteen. That's not going to last, but that's a pretty good sign. A WRC plus of one sixty seven. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, I I think that this is a guy who I picked up in a couple leagues. Uh, while he's hot, short term, he's playing center field, so he's going to play, play, play. Uh, and the Giants have been a good team, so roll with him while you can, I think. Yeah, same. I, my problem with Duggar is that I hate seeing moments where guys are not in the lineup. That's it. You know, and, and he's not in the lineup too much. His defense, though, keeps him playing. I, I think that's yeah, but not against, big for him. Not against lefties. That's when you get Austin Slater. So Yeah, he's a big side platoon guy. Yeah, that's what he is. his batting average higher, right? Yeah, that's true. All right. <laughs> so we're 2-1 we're on Duggar, 2.5 nah, to I'm good, to I'm good. I mean, I, I, I'm i playing him in TGFBI. Uh, Ariel and I are, we're, uh, Ariel, where, where do we stand in TGFBI right now? Currently in our division, I am leading. <laughs> he doesn't and care where you are. What, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where are we? Where are we? <laughs> one, yeah, currently two. in our division. 1-2. One, one, we're 1-2. One, one, two. Two. And why don't you tell tell everybody, uh, yeah, currently in our division, how you put that was 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 pretty clever. Where are we in the overall? Uh, in the overall, I'm somewhere, I'm going to say, around 40, and you're maybe 35 a couple spots higher. Right. So you've got 117. I've got 114. 117.5 to 114. You're at 41 overall. I'm at yeah, close enough. Overall. It's close enough. Yeah, we're, we're, it's pretty tight and, and super fun. And the reason I bring it up is because I do have uh, Steven Duggar going in that league. And Adolise. <laughs> Adolise. That's so funny. Ariel did. Our Ariel did do a very funny. Um, it was inappropriate and not not for other people's ears. But he 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 did do a very funny version of Under the Radar, where he did impressions of all of us. Uh, that that part of it was Adolis was just constantly being thrown out there, which it, is very appropriate. If you send me ten dollars on Venmo, I'll I'll uh, give that to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if DVR wants that, to be honest. <laughs> He, 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 yeah, but but it's it's very it's very funny. I'm not sure Nando want, wants that. I'm not sure cut? I want that. You want twenty twenty percent? What do you want? <laughs> Such an actuary. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to a few other things here. Uh, middle relievers. You guys were talking at the beginning of the show about the conversation you had yesterday, uh, Ariel. What types of leagues should the late inning or middle relievers, the, the good ratios, plays, good strikeout rate, guys, even if they're not getting save and saves, in what types of leagues do you think those players should be utilized? Yeah, it's funny, but I, I use them in almost all types of depths. I, not in, not in points leagues; they're not going to get you much. But in uh, in roto leagues, I use them twelve twelve team and deeper. To be honest with you, you know, if if you have uh, a, a slate of pitchers who I don't know they're playing in Colorado or they're playing Boston or uh, you know you don't know what, what they're going to be a two start week where maybe they're not a great strikeout pitcher maybe they'll get torched I don't know whatever the situation is I'd rather start a good middle reliever than pick a seventh starter 
I, I would. And especially earlier in the season when you don't know about pitchers, where pitchers don't start and pitchers don't develop and set their rhythm, uh, I use them. And I use them to fortify my ERA and, and whip. The trick with middle relievers, though, is you cannot spend money on them. I remember um, when Andrew Miller was at his prime as the, the middle rel- reliever, he would be like $7, $8 in a mixed league, and that's not something I would ever want to pay. I, I want to find the next guy for free off the waiver wire or for a dollar or my bench spot to get me those ratios, and that's it. And uh, I take a guy like Garrett Whitlock. Um, rule five guy, uh, so he, he's been great. Twenty six percent K rate, fifty five percent ground ball rate. Got a one four two ERA, one sixteen WHIP, and this guy has not been overly lucky. He he's thrown thirty eight innings so far, and every time he goes, he pitches like two innings. So instead of pitching a guy who's going to go four or five innings, like a Jake Arrieta, and maybe blow up your ERA. He's going to pitch for maybe six innings a week, and he'll get you tons and tons of strikeouts. These guys are undervalued. They're worth money. They're worth value in, in mixed leagues, even if they don't get you the wins and saves. And by the way, they can look into wins and saves, too. They can vulture some. Yeah, I think this is this is a group that includes guys like Garrett Whitlock, uh, David Bednar, who might be also a closer in waiting because of the situation in Pittsburgh where it seems like Richard Rodriguez and possibly Kyle Crick could get dealt before the trade deadline, July 30th this year, since the 31st falls on a Saturday. Uh, Mike Myers. Myers or Myers? I feel like his is Myers, even though it looks like Myers. I think I've heard the announcers say it that way. He's kind of interesting because Rysel Iglesias could be traded. And there's like Chad Green, who I think exactly fits into that Garrett Whitlock category where you don't see Chad Green getting more than a vultured save. He's almost more yeah. likely to get you the the three inning save, the 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 rare long save. Nah, he's right? not like, going to do that. He won't give you three because they're not going to throw him three innings. But but he but what he does is is incredibly valuable. And I mean, you were saying that uh, Ariel about Chad Green. Why do you have him on every team? I mean, look at his look at his numbers. And I had him to start the year. It's not like I picked him up. Picked right, him you up picked him in the reserve. I know in GDD. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he got 40 innings, 0.8 whip. You know what 40 innings of 0.8 whip do to your ratios? I mean, why would I want to get gombered on any given week? I want that ratio. That's a plus. Uh, sure, he won't. He doesn't have 80 innings right now, but I'd rather take a 0.8 whip at 40 innings than a 1.4 whip at 80 innings. Right? Doesn't and that's going to do damage. Um, Chad Green is is just uh, the perfect guy. He's like a four or five dollar value. I mean, it, it, he he's like the equivalent of a fifth starter on 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 your teams. Um, but he won't get any saves really. Uh, the and he won't why- get many wins. He also won't get many wins. That's the problem with guys like Aaron Bummer for me and Chad Green. They come into yeah. games typically when they have the lead. So you're not gonna you're not gonna vulture a win from a Chad Green. You so, actually have a better chance to get it from. I've been trying to figure this out from a Garrett Whitlock or Nestor Cortez. Uh, our our friend Nando Defino's favorite, Nestor Cortez, who pitches for the Yankees. He no, but no, no, no. If you look at the numbers, right? If you look at what Cortez has been doing, it has been pretty remarkable. So I'm going to throw this out there because I think it's. Hold on, let me just pull up Nestor Cortez's numbers because it's it's pretty impressive. Pull up, please. Come on, man. One thirteen anybody- ERA, one thirteen WHIP, twenty two strikeouts in only sixteen innings. Right. Okay. So. K. And here's why I actually think Nestor Cortez makes a little bit more sense. He comes into games when they're losing. Has anyone ever really talked about this? That the upside of the middle reliever, who is not the guy who's the hold guy, but the guy who comes in 
like where where they're down five to four and they come in in the fifth inning, isn't there a much bigger chance that he's going to end up getting wins than a Chad Green? Because Chad Green has to give up the lead to then get the lead back. No, because Green will come in and tie games. I'd rather have him for the tie where he vultures a win that way rather than when they're losing three where there's less of a probability of the win change. I'd, I'd rather have Green. Okay. Well, yeah. well, but by the way, going back to like guys like Myers and David Bednar, um, now is the time in the year, right when we're turning the cl- the calendar to July, where especially in this year where saves are hard to come by, you need to take a couple of shots, provided your roster can do it, on a saves guy. Mm-hmm. And I like taking a shot on guys who are free. David Bednar um, has a thirty-two percent strikeout rate. For, uh, 42% ground ball rate. I mean, he is a possible closer in Pittsburgh, and if you're Pittsburgh, you you got to be tra- wanting to trade Richard Rodriguez, right? Um, he's a guy that you can get off the waiver wire for nothing right now and has, I don't know, 50-50 shot at being the closer, and it's probably an 80% chance of being traded and in that spot. So you can get a, 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 another 10, 15 saves on the rest of the year for nothing now. You know, I'm always, I'm, I talk about return on investment. There's two ways to be good in return on investment. One is a big return, but the other is a low investment. Free is free, and Bednar can A, help your team, and maybe, maybe get some saves. But wouldn't it make more sense to go with a guy like Mike Meyer? Myers, yeah, him too. Yeah, him from too. From the Angels, because they're you know if you look, Rich Rodriguez has like what seven saves over the course of this long season because they don't win games. They're a bad team. So I rather have a Mike Mayers like to to find that middle spot of a guy who who might. But although Mayers might not get traded, I mean, Rosella Iglesias might not get traded if the Angels. So it's a. It's a it's it, it's a balancing act, you know. It really is a balancing act. Those two I put in the same spot. I mean, if I had to bet who has a higher likelihood of being traded, it's got to be Richard Rodriguez and Iglesias. So uh, I think I'd rather off with Bednar if I'm trying to find saves, right? I mean, Iglesias yeah, I, less likely to be traded. Yeah, less likely. I would so agree it, with that because that's the all Angels. This, but this is all this is about. It's just a guess. It's a guess at who's being traded and picking the guy who you think is going to be the next one up. That that's all it is here. So I go with Bednar in that situation here. So, Ian, uh, before we go, a couple things I wanted to ask you about. One, sure. how are the Rangers doing? Not the Texas Rangers, your Rangers. Uh, the Little League team, thank you, yes. Um, so, last week, I told you guys that we were having our championship game, uh, that we had won game one, three to nothing. We had lost game two, one to nothing. And we were playing on Tuesday, and we had lost our catcher. Uh, so, I was moving my son from first base behind the plate, and I was moving our shortstop, who's great at shortstop, to first base, where he's not so great. Moving my third baseman from third base to shortstop, where he made four errors in the game, unfortunately, and my center fielder to third base. So, it was a lot of moving parts for 11 and 12 year olds. Uh, we play by three rules, four rules. Rule number one, have fun. Rule number two, focus on every pitch. Rule number three, respect yourself, your teammates, the opponent, and the umpire. Rule number four, always wear a mask. We won two to one. And we ended up winning the championship, which was uh, tremendously exciting. Um, and really, so much love for this team. I'd spent three months working with these kids. And for them to come together and play and not get scared, because that's what the rules are all about, is really just focusing on the moment as opposed to how big the moment is. Um, and it, it really works. And so we just started our Little League World Series team uh, and the district team, which I was uh, grateful that the coaches wanted me to coach that team. And so we had our first game on Sunday, and we won kind of in a blowout. 
scenario against a team that really wasn't up to up to snuff for the level of play that we're playing at. But today, this afternoon at 530 in 95 degree heat, we are playing a really good team with a pitcher who is like the Tyler Glass now of 12 year olds. He's six <laughs> one. He throws heat like you wouldn't believe. We my, my assistant coach and I stayed and watched the second game because we were going to play one of the two teams. And so we sk- we literally scouted the teams. And this kid is just a beast. So it's going to be a challenge, but the the district team is made up of the best players from our league, um, many of whom I've coached at different times. So they play by the rules and they understand it. So we, you know, we're one and zero so far. If we win today, it will really put us in good stead because then we'll get a bye in the next round, and then we're we're set up to to be in really good shape. But we could lose this game, and that'll be okay because then we'll have a game Thursday to try to get to Saturday, and then moving forward. And if we can win the districts, then we move on to um, the sectionals, then we move on to the states, then we move on to Connecticut. <laughs> the chances that's never happened for North Riverdale, where I live. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't expect, I don't, I think the last time we won the, uh, the districts was 2008. So it's been a long time, some really powerhouses in our, in our district, but the kids are playing great together and they're having a good time. And yesterday at practice, we stopped practice midway because the ice cream truck came by and the kids had ice cream. Um, so it's, it's been fun and we're in good stead. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but yes, very grateful for the Rangers though, that, that we, uh, we pulled that out. So, uh, Ian, good luck to that. And, you know, you, you mentioned you didn't have a World, uh, World Series winning team, but where I'm from in West Hempstead, you can yeah. actually look this one up. We've had two <laughs> two cha- World Series champions from West Hempstead in the early 1900s. Take a look. You had Little League World Series champions from Little League, West Hempstead? Little League World Series champions twice from West Hempstead. The early 1900s? Yes, look at that. That's incredible that the hey, records are even available for that. That's I Yeah. What uh uh-huh. so last question for you, Ian. What what does Joe Girardi tweet mean? It just says that on the rundown. I was curious about do that. Do you remember do you remember when I, I I texted you and Nando the night of the Joe Girardi where Joe Girardi was uh asking Max Scherzer, don't oh, you yeah, remember? He made a fool I of himself. Every, it was within the rules. Yeah, he, made, he, he made a fool of himself. Yeah. Well the the, the part that was you know, I I like Joe Girardi. I, I liked him very much as a player for the Yankees. He's, he was just a great catcher and a great leader. But as a manager, I mean, I, he's he, he, no. I'm not a fan. I, I think he. I think he goes about it the wrong way. I think he throws blame around. I, I don't think he makes his players better. I think it's one of the reasons why the Yankees got rid of him, uh, even after he was largely successful. Um, and Aaron Boone has been struggling, and the New York papers are clamoring for Aaron Boone to be fired now, which I think is a little silly, to be honest. They're talking about firing Cashman and and Boone. Bill Madden wrote this nasty little Bill Madden-like article. I was looking for him on Twitter. I was going to go, sweetie, hey, sweetie. I was going to really, but he, he doesn't appear on Twitter, which is probably wise. Um, but Joe Girardi, I, I, was, I, I was really disappointed with him. And when he was challenging his former hitting coach, Kevin Long, to a fight, originally I thought he was trying to fight with Max Scherzer, which I thought was well over the line. <laughs> but the fact was he was just trying to, you know, beat up his former coach. But I was curious if, if you guys see the same thing. I'm always watching managers. I'm the manager of my team. So I, I watch how they behave. And I think that Joe Girardi is a net minus as a manager for his team. Very much so. I think he, he, he makes his players uh, less steady. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I guess I'm not convinced that he's a net positive at the very least. Uh, Ariel? Um, yeah, I don't really see him as a net negative, but you know, my, my opinion is that managers rarely make a difference. So Wow. Uh, I so wait a minute. I so firmly disagree. <laughs> managers make a huge difference. Managers make a huge difference in Major League Baseball. Look at Alex Cora. 
in Boston. Look at the way they play the game now. Watch Alex Cora sitting on his little stool, just relaxed, confident. And Xander Bogarts, I watched him interviewed after uh, a walk-off hit. And someone said, why are you playing so much better with Alex Cora than you did last year? And with Renicky as the manager, he said, we just believe, you know, he just puts us in a place where we believe good things are going to happen, that we're going to do good things. And I, I've watched it. I've watched it. I mean, you know, I, I still think Bill Madden's a punk, but, um, but Kevin Cash is a great manager. Alex Cora is a great manager. Aaron Boone's not a great manager. He's not great. He's good. But he's not great. And I think that that really, really makes a difference on a team. I had one little thing I was going to do, but I'm not going to do it because the show's already, we're, we're already over for time. But at some point, I'm going to have a conversation between George Washington and Ariel Cohen that I have uh, in my head that, that I'll do. But I, I think we're running out of time. But DVR, do you have any last thoughts? No, I just appreciate Ariel joining us on the show. It feels like he's the fourth member of the show every week because of, of the voice. And I appreciate him being a good sport about that, too. I don't, I don't know if everybody in yeah. our industry would be cool with that. I, I think Ariel has been very cool about it. Yeah, Ariel, do you, do you, you, because I always check with you, right? I always check with you when I do the imitation, and you always say that, what do you say about it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. It really was an honor and, and, and a privilege to be on with you guys. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I hear you talking the, every week and mentioning something that I said or uh, doing the voice or whatever, and, uh, um, you know, it, the voice makes me laugh, and it, it takes a lot to... <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> there you go there you go no, it it takes a lot to get me upset but it, 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 you guys make me laugh and and uh it's all in good fun and you know you, you say some things that i say in a good way and I, I i it's all in good fun and and i really appreciate it i really appreciate it okay so uh, it was a real pleasure to have you so for the man who is a, a far better host and of running the show than i am Derek van Riper. i appreciate that but you're still learning to lead host that's not something you've had to yeah. do much it's really not something I enjoy doing either. And now, uh, uh, for the man who who enjoys the mediocre impression that I sort of put out on the show every week, thank you for joining us, Ariel Cohen. Uh, that's me. Thanks, guys. I'm Ian Khan in Fernando Defino uh, to do the intro and the outro. It was a real pleasure. Nada will be back next week. We're really looking forward to it. Ariel, thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you all next time. Good talk. Good talk. Bye. So, Oriel, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Oh, really? It's my, really my honor. I mean, the general of the Continental Army, the first president of the United States. I mean, you know, you want to talk to me, Ariel Cohen. That's that's really exciting. Yes, well, Oriel, I want to tell you that I, I really am a fan of yours. Oh, you're a fan of mine. That's great. Is it softball? Because, I'm, you know, I'm really good at softball. I mean, sometimes I struggle with the bat, but, boy, my screwball just got no, – Oriel, Oriel, um, no, I was – I wanted to tell you that I, I appreciate it that you ran for president of the United States in 2016. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. You know, I, I really did. I mean, I really wasn't happy with either of the candidates. I got 37. Yes, yes. Ariel, I got 37 votes, you know, and if people were smarter, I probably would have gotten more. Yes. No, Ariel, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. I'm very well aware. Um, you had some somewhat of my support. I wasn't a huge fan of either of the candidates either. Oh, no, I mean, really. I mean, how could you be? Okay, but Ariel... I want to talk to you a bit about this fantasy baseball that you do. You know, I'm really good at that. Yes, I know. I'm quite good. <laughs> Everyone thinks that you're really quite, quite.
quite excellent. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. And, you know, my record kind of stands for itself. Well, yes. But, Ariel, the thing I wanted to discuss with you is, um, you know, I made some mistakes in my life, certainly. <laughs> um, but one thing that I prized above all else. The presidency? Because I know I would have prized. No, Ariel, it's not the presidency. <laughs> um, the, the thing that I prized above all else was is humility. Oh, well, sure, yeah. I mean, you were known as a very humble man. Yeah, so, Oriel, what I wanted to talk to you about is these tweets, as you call them. <laughs> oh, yes, Twitter, yeah. You know, Twitter, Twitter's a big thing nowadays. It's sort of a big deal. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, but, but but what I wanted to mention was it seems that every Monday you post the standings <laughs> and where you appear in the standings. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know, yeah, I do. Because people want to know. I mean, people are curious about it, and they, they want to know. And I, I'm very happy to let them know. Yes, I know, but... What I want to suggest is that perhaps instead of posting those standings, you sort of let the record speak for itself. Yeah, I hear you, Washington. But the reality <laughs> is that, you know, people watch my, they listen to my show on a weekly basis because I'm really good at the game. I don't know if you know how good I am. No, Ariel, I know. Because I really have a really remarkable record. I mean, there's really few as good as me. And the reality is that right now I am leading in most of my leagues, either in first or second place. And people really, yes, I know. I, I, I'm aware probably one of the two or three best players in the game. Well, that that's debatable. I mean, you know, top two or three, maybe, maybe the best, you know, maybe, I, I mean, I could be the best. Some people think I'm the best. Yes, 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 Ariel, I know. But what, what I'm trying to point out to you is that perhaps it would be better instead of you talking about how good you are, letting others talk about how good you are. I appreciate your opinion. And it's a real thrill to talk to you. I mean, the fact that you want to speak to me, Ariel Cohen, 2016 presidential candidate, and you can look it up on Wikipedia, really means a lot to me, Mr. Washington. I, I prefer General Washington. I mean, okay, General Washington, whatever you need. I mean, you know, whatever makes you feel good about things. Did I mention that yesterday I really came in at the end of the game and I threw three shutout innings and I, I had three doubles last night. Three doubles in that game. It was really, that was after two hours of tennis and it was hot out here in New York. Oh boy. By the way, did, you, did I ever tell you that in West, thank you, Ariel. I, I think I need to move on to my school. But did I ever tell you that in West Hempstead, where I live, that we won the Little League World Series two times early in the 20th century? That says something. That says something about where I live. I think I had something to do with it. I know that sounds a little crazy, but I think it was something about me. Ariel, a pleasure as always. Oh, really, pleasure is mine. I mean, geez, George Washington wanted to talk to me. A little Ariel Cohen. I'm an actuary, by the way. If you ever need any actuary work done, I'd be really happy to, to, to take part.